beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're like me, then one thing you might struggle with is unfinished business. You have a project on the go, and you just want to get it done. You have a business venture you've started, but you keep, you keep getting interrupted. You have a dream you want to make a reality, and you feel you just got to get to it. Well, there's been some unfinished business that I've been wanting to get to for a long time, and that's to finish off a mini-sermon series in connection with the Lord's Supper. The goal was to have a three-part series on Psalm 25 about living in covenant with God. Well, we were only able to look at the first two parts of that sermon series. We looked at the second part pretty much one year ago, last October. But then, what shall we say, some stuff happened and the third part never got finished. However, by God's grace, unfinished business becomes finished today. Now, it's, since it's been so long since we've had the last sermon on Psalm 25 in connection with the Lord's Supper, I would not fault you if you cannot remember the details of the first two parts. So, let me recap things a little bit. First of all, what is God's covenant? God's covenant is essentially the relationship that God has established with His people. It's a relationship of love and fellowship. It includes things like promises and and obligations. And yet we might wonder, well, how exactly do we live in covenant with God? What is our relationship with God supposed to look like? Well, I would say to you, as I've said before, Psalm 25 gives us an excellent example of what it should look like to live in covenant with God. This is what relationship with God is supposed to look like. And when we look at Psalm 25 through that lens, we see three different themes emerge. And these three themes corresponded to the three parts of of the sermon series. The first theme is this, in God's covenant, we must rely on God's mercy and grace. Remember, the covenant between God and and us is not a relationship between equals. First of all, God is so much greater than us, and God is holy, and, and we by nature are not holy. God is completely without sin, and by nature we are full of sin, and sinful desires continually arise out of our hearts every day. And this means that the covenant relationship can only be established, and it can only continue if God is merciful and gracious and forgiving. And King David, he realized this. And that's why one of the themes of Psalm 25, we see David continually asking God to forgive his sin. He knows he's a sinner, that he needs God's grace. So that's the first theme. The second theme that emerges from the psalm is this. As God's people, 
we ask God to lead us in His ways. Lead us in the ways of His commandments. Lead us in the ways of how He desires that we live. You see, even though God is merciful and gracious in His covenant, that grace does not give us the go-ahead to live in sin. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God's grace does not lead us to indulge sin, but to flee from sin. Think of what Paul says in Titus 2, 11 and 12. The grace of God teaches us to renounce ungodliness and to live upright and godly lives. And so when we look at Psalm 25, we see that David repeatedly says things such as, Teach me your paths, O Lord. Lead me in your truth and teach me. See, God not only forgives us for breaking His commandments, but He also, in the covenant, begins to write His commandments upon our hearts, and upon our, on our minds, so that we live as God wants us to live. So that's the second theme we see emerging from Psalm 25. Well, we see a a third and final theme emerge from Psalm 25. This is the theme we'll be focusing on this morning, also in connection with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And when we live in covenant with God, we need to learn to trust in God through the hard times hard times in life. And this can be a real challenge. In this life, we as God's people, we can at times face incredibly perplexing situations. The pain and brokenness of this life, they sometimes just press down upon us. We might go through times of extreme adversity, extreme suffering, maybe extreme loneliness. And things might happen to you in your life where you just, you wonder, you know, why did God do that? Or why did God let that happen? Or why did God bring this painful thing into my life. And one reason those things are are difficult is is because of our relationship with God. It might make us wonder, is, is God faithful? You see, in those times, we face what can seem to our eyes to be a a complete disconnect between God's promises and our own experience. You know, we look at at God's promises on the one hand, promises such as, I will be your God, I am faithful, I love you, you are mine. And then we look at our experience on the other hand, and, and we say, well, I'm in deep distress. I feel turmoil and pain. And the question can easily arise then, how do these things fit together? How can God's promises be real on the one hand if, 
if this is what I'm going through, on the other hand, is God being true to His Word? Now, it's important for us to know that King David, the author of Psalm 25, he, he felt this sort of thing. Listen to some of the things that King David says here. He cries out because of his enemies. He calls out to God because he says his feet are in the net. He feels trapped. He feels caught by his enemies. He feels helpless to help himself. And so he, he cries out to God, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me because it appears that they might. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. David says that the troubles of his heart are enlarged. They've ballooned. They've become massive. It's not always easy to trust God when you're going through that. That's especially true given the nature of God's covenant. Covenant's meant to be a relationship, a beautiful fellowship, and even friendship. In verse 14, David even says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And then in two verses later, David says, I'm lonely and afflicted. Right? How do those things match? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And then David says, I'm lonely and afflicted. But here, as always, <clears throat> is where God calls us <clears throat> to trust Him, to trust Him even in the hard times of life. Trust Him even though the, the troubles of your heart have ballooned, they've become massive. Trust that He is faithful even when His promises seem to be washed away in a wave of trouble. Now, how can we do that? How can we bridge the apparent gap between God's promises on the one hand and our painful experience on the other hand? How can we bridge that gap in our, in our life of faith? <clears throat> well, there are a number of things we must hold on to. First of all, remember what the Holy Spirit says through Peter in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. <clears throat> the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Right? When you're, when you're going through trouble, when you're going through pain and suffering, God might seem to work painfully slow. A lot slower than we would like him to work. But God is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. God is always at work even when we can't see it. One way God is working through trials is to purify His people. That's, in fact, one of the goals of God's covenant, to 
purchase a people and to purify them for himself. And the suffering of this life often has a purifying effect as we, as we look to God. Sometimes trials can reveal to us the, the sin of our hearts, and then we can repent and ask the Lord for forgiveness. Sometimes God is simply working in us a, a persevering faith. You know, and a few weeks ago, I, I came across a a wonderful quote from Charles Spurgeon that some of you may have seen me share with some people. Spurgeon said, The refiner is never, fair, never very far away from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. The refiner is never very far away from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. Right? A refiner puts his gold in the fire to purify it. But that's because the refiner cares about his gold. He wants to make it pure, and he's, he's not just busy doing something else while his gold's in the fire. No. And yes, God sometimes puts us, his people, through fiery trials to purify us. That doesn't mean he's distant or doesn't care. He has a good end in mind, and his eye is on us at all times. He has us in his hands, even if we might not feel it. Well, a few weeks ago, we also had an October thunderstorm roll through Winnipeg. The sky grew dark, the rain beat down, the lightning struck, the thunder roared. But then as the storm passed by overhead, the sun began to, to peek through the western skies. And so when the storm rolled on, a rainbow shone on the backside of the storm. And we all know that the rainbow is a sign of God's promises, a sign of, of God's faithfulness. And so often it appears when the storm has passed. And that's so often how it is for us in the hard times too. It's hard to see God's promises, it's hard to see God's faithfulness when the storms of life are raging. But when the storm is over, that's often when we can look back and see that God's promises were there all along. We just couldn't see them at the time. It takes hindsight to see it. And yes, at times, it can still be hard, right? It's easy for us to doubt. But trials of life, they also help us to build our lives on the everlasting rock, the only one that can help us through the hard times, God, who does not change. And this is what we need to do. David says in verse 2, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And as we build our lives on God, the everlasting rock, through the trials we learn precious truths about our God. We learn that God can bring life out of death. God can bring joy out of pain. God can bring victory out of defeat. God can bring good out of suffering. And no one else in this life and nothing else in this life can do that as God can do that. So we learn that our God is supremely good and supremely worthy of our trust. 
See, there are two approaches to life. You can build your life on God and His promises, His faithfulness, or you can choose to build it on something else. Well, these two approaches to life hit home for me in the space of a few days this past summer. I was driving down the highway, and I saw a sign that, that said something to the effect of, when life is tough, the tough rise above. And with that message, there was a picture of a man. He was standing on kind of a, an edge of a cliff on top of a mountain, and obviously he was someone who had risen above the challenges of life. Some people might find that inspiring, and in some ways it, it might be, right? The tough rise above. Let's be tough. It's not actually that helpful. Someone might respond, no, I'm not tough, and I know it. Yes, life is tough, and I feel like I'm being crushed. I don't have the strength to rise above. What am I going to do now? Besides living by that motto, finding your security in yourself, eventually everyone will break at some point, and they will not be able to rise above. So that's one approach to life. Don't go down that road. But then I saw a different sign. It was actually at a Christian school, and the sign said something to the effect of, life may be tough, but our God is tougher. And that's the right approach. And that's what we discover through the trials of life. Life may be tough, but our God is tougher. I want you to remember that, children. Remember that your entire life long. Yes, life may be tough, but you have a God who is tougher than the trials of this life. Build your life on Him. Remember verse 2, no one who waits for God will be put to shame. You know, there's more going on in our lives than we can see with our own eyes. God's perspective is so much bigger than ours. I think of Job in the book of Job, who went through suffering, and no wonder he had questions for God Little did he know that God permitted Satan to viciously attack him. And all Satan wanted to do was to cause Job to curse God and die. And Job in his life never found out what happened behind the scenes. He simply had to trust God through the hard times. And God might allow Satan to do the same with us. Look at what David says in verse 19, Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. Well, let me assure you, the devil is your enemy. And he has nothing but pure hatred for you. As article 12 of the Belgian Confession says, the devil's and evil spirits with all their might lie in wait like murderers to ruin the church and all its members and to destroy everything by their wicked devices. And in your suffering, the devil would have nothing more but to have you reject God, to walk away from Him and His promises. Now, why does God allow Satan to attack us in this way? Well, we don't always know, but we can certainly say this. When we taste Satan's fierce attacks and we see the devil 
and all that he stands for in opposition to God is abhorrently evil. The devil and all his works and all his temptations are full of lies, and he's full of murder for you. To quote the Belgian Confession again, we learn to see that the devils and evil spirits are so depraved that they are enemies of God and all that is good. And God may allow Satan to attack you in this way to help us see that in contrast to Satan and all that he stands for, God is good. And God's commandments, they are good. And our God is full of truth and light and life. So we learn all the more to put away sin and, and all that the devil would want us to do and to serve the Lord with all of our might. There's one last thing we must look to to help us bridge the gap between God's promises and our painful trials on the other side. We must keep our eyes fixed on the cross of Christ. It's a cross of Christ that bridges the gap between God's promises on the one hand and the pain we might face in life on the other hand. I'd like to point you, first of all, to the experience of the, of the disciples at the cross. Right? When, when Christ, their Lord, was crucified on the cross, the disciples, they were just devastated. Their entire view of Jesus was shaken to the core. In their minds, the promises of God about Jesus Christ and the very claims of Jesus to be the Christ on the one hand, and what they were experiencing with their, their Lord on the cross seemed to be infinitely apart, unbridgeable. But the reality was that in this excruciating event, Jesus hanging from the cross, it was this very thing that proved God himself to be faithful to his promises, and it was the very thing that proved Jesus to be the, the Christ, the very thing they doubted in that moment. We should keep that in mind. Remember also what Romans 8 says about the cross of Christ. In Romans 8, we hear those well-known words. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. And why can we be so sure? Well, listen to the logic of Romans 8. If God did not spare His own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? Listen to the logic. If God was willing to sacrifice what was most precious to him for us, gave up what was most precious to him for our well-being, our eternal well-being, do you think then that he will hold back the other things we need for our lives with God? course not. God will give us all that we need also as we go through the hard times. Think of that when you partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Remember, God gave you what was most precious to Him. He wants to see that this is His Son given for you, given for your life, 
your eternal well-being. Trust Him. This is what God has given to you, so trust Him in the hard times. And that's why Romans 8 then says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall things like tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Holy Spirit says through the mouth of David, no one who waits for God will be put to shame. Do you know what David said at the end of his life? He said in 1 Kings 1 verse 29, The Lord has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. That's what he said at the end of his life. The Lord has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. He prayed for God's redemption, Psalm 25. And at the end of his life, this is what he could confess. Trusting God through the hard times was worth it for David. It's worth it for you. So even though the troubles of our heart may be enlarged, God's promises are bigger, they are stronger, and they will see us through to the end. Amen.